Coming into the trade deadline, we knew the Orioles needed a starting pitcher. And while they did wait until the last minute, the O's got their guy, acquiring Jack Flaherty from the St. Louis Cardinals. I'll break down the trade, plus the Orioles' big win over the Blue Jays on Tuesday night. Coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap the Orioles' monstrous 13-3 victory over the Toronto Blue Jays on Tuesday night. I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from that one, including Mount Castle still dominating the Jays, Santander sending a ball into orbit, and Kyle Bradish looking really good on the hill again. And then we'll get to the Orioles trade deadline because they only made one more move on Tuesday, but it was a move that many, including myself, had been asking for, getting a starting pitcher, and that's what they did, acquiring Jack Flaherty from the St. Louis Cardinals for three prospects. I'll give you the scouting report on Flaherty, how he'll fit in with the O's, how he's done so far this year, and then we'll take a look at the return, what the O's gave up, was it a fair deal, and what happens next for this Orioles rotation. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Sleeper. Swing for the fences on Sleeper picks and you could win up to 100 times your money. Download the Sleeper app and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details, currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. So we start today's episode with an Orioles win. Final score from the Rogers Center in Toronto on Tuesday night. Orioles 13 and Blue Jays 3. Just wiping the floor with Toronto as the O's have now taken the first two games of this four-game set north of the border. The win gets the Orioles to 66-41 and 41 on the season. 25 games over 500. Now, unfortunately, the Yankees are absolutely terrible so they lost again to the Rays. Rays beat the Yankees 5-2 on Tuesday night. So the Orioles remain just a game and a half up on Tampa, who's starting to play some good baseball again. But it is another win for the O's. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 13-3 win over the Blue Jays. And the first thing you need to know is Ryan Mountcastle just continues to absolutely own the Toronto Blue Jays. After having the big night on Monday in the Orioles' win when he drove in three of their four runs... Mountcastle was huge again in this one. He gets the start actually hitting second for the O's in this game as they were facing the lefty Hunjin Ryu, who was making his first start back for the Blue Jays since his surgery that's kept him out for over a year. And Mountcastle jumped on him. After an Adley Rutschman leadoff double, Mountcastle doubled, made it 1-0 Orioles immediately. He continued to come up with big hit after big hit and ended the game 3-for-4 with two doubles, two RBIs, and a walk and four hard-hit balls for Mountcastle. Just once again, obliterating the baseball. First inning double, 110 off the bat. Second inning line out, 98 off the bat. Fifth inning single, 100 miles per hour off the bat. Seventh inning double, 109 off the bat. And the eighth inning, he walked as well, 
to finish off his day. Yeah, he's ridiculous against this team. Now has a 322 career average with an OPS over 1,000 in his 47 career games against Toronto. I don't really know why they pitched to him at this point. Second thing you need to know from this one is that Anthony Santander hit a gigantic grand slam that put this game away in the eighth off of Blue Jays reliever Nate Pearson. And I'm not sure if that ball has landed yet. Santander also had himself a huge day, three for four with a walk and the grand slam in the eighth that made it an 11-3 game and kind of put the cherry on top. It was an interesting spot because it was a 7-3 game, bases loaded two outs, right? Blue Jays still in the game, down four in the eighth. Pearson throws a beautiful 2-2 backdoor curveball to Santander. It looked like it caught the zone, didn't get the call from the home plate umpire. Very next pitch, fastball in the inner half, Santander turns on it for an absolutely demolished grand slam, put the game away. Sometimes the breaks go your way and you get those extra chances. The homer was 105 off the bat, traveled 403 feet for his 19th home run of the season. Santander also had a 99-mile-per-hour single, a 104-mile-per-hour single, a walk, and a 106-mile-per-hour ground out. He was crushing the ball as well in this game. Third thing you need to know from this one is the Gunnar Henderson hit that brought in two runs in the seventh and kind of allowed the Orioles to get a little separation in this game probably should have never happened. The hit that broke it open in that seventh inning, the Orioles scored three runs to go from a 4-3 advantage to a 7-3 advantage. I was wondering, like, was Blue Jays manager John Schneider just asleep in the dugout for that inning? The first decision was already a weird one. Runner on third, two down in the inning, and Austin Hayes coming to the plate. Now, it is a lefty on the hill in Hennessy's Cabrera, and, you know, Austin Hayes was an all-star, but it's a one-run game, and Austin Hayes has been hitting 130 since the all-star break. He was the only Orioles starter without a hit tonight, went 0-4 with a walk, continues to struggle, again, hitting 130 since the all-star break. Why are you not pitching to him? I get there's a lefty on deck, and he's a righty at the plate, and you got a lefty on the mound. But that lefty on deck is Gunnar Henderson. And for some reason, the Orioles decide to, or the Blue Jays decide to intentionally walk Hayes. What does Gunnar Henderson do? Absolutely rip a ball up the middle that almost hit Cabrera. And that would have been a bad scene there. That ball was sizzling off the bat of Gunnar Henderson, who hit it 99 off the bat. Ends up hitting off of the shortstop Espinal. Goes into left field. Should have just been an RBI single, but what a job from Austin Hayes. He never stopped running. Tony Mancelino with an aggressive send to the plate as the ball kind of trickled into left field. And Hayes beat an errant throw home for what ended up being a two-run single for Henderson. And that just kind of broke the game open right there. And I couldn't believe that they had decided to pitch to Henderson and, and not... Hayes there in a two-run game, and it was another bad decision earlier in the inning because Mountcastle came up with a runner on third and one out against the lefty in a one-run game, and they pitched to him, and he immediately doubled to make it 5-3. to three. I get that Santander and, you know, the rest of the, the meaty part of the order is coming up next, but, like, Mountcastle's killed you. He kills lefties. It's against Toronto. Don't pitch to him. Bad inning for John Schneider. Some of the decisions he made in this game some of the decisions Aaron Boone made for the Yankees in the Orioles' last series over the weekend tells you that, yes, Brandon Hyde is not a perfect manager. 
but he seems to be worlds ahead of managers of other good teams in this division. Makes you appreciate Hyde a little bit more. But, I mean, the offense was awesome, right? I mean, 13-3, to 13 runs on 16 hits for the Orioles. Two in the first, one in the second, one in the sixth, three in the seventh, four in the eighth, two in the ninth. I mean, Rutschman, Mountcastle, Santander, Henderson, Westberg, all with multi-hit games. I mentioned every Orioles starter except for Hayes had at least one hit in this game. But let's switch to the pitching because the fourth thing you need to know from this one is that Kyle Bradish was awesome in this game. Kind of bouncing back from a, a very weird start he had in Philly last week. Bradish goes seven innings, allowing three runs on four hits, seven strikeouts, one walk, and two homers, 98 pitches for Bradish who got his ERA to 3-3-2 on the year. And they squared him up a bit, nine hard hit balls in seven innings. But Bradish had something a little different working in this game. We have talked a lot this year about how Bradish is at his best when the slider is working, when the slider is getting whiffs, when he's throwing more sliders than any other pitch. He's throwing it in the zone and out of the zone, and it's looking really good. That wasn't Bradish's plan in this game, and it kind of backfired early. He allowed a two-run homer to Danny Jansen in the second inning. He allowed a solo homer to Brandon Belt in the third inning that tied the game at three. But he settled down after that and retired 14 of the next 15 hitters using the sinker. This was the most Kyle Bradish has ever thrown the sinker. 38 of his 98 pitches were that sinking fastball. That pitch had some unbelievable run on it on Tuesday night. Seven whiffs on 18 swings. Seven of his 12 total whiffs came against the sinker. Only two from the slider and two from the curveball, but seven for the sinker. That is not the usual Kyle Bradish plan. But that sinker was moving and darting like nothing I've ever seen before from Kyle Bradish. I mean, what it looked like to me was the old Jim Johnson sinker. That is how that pitch looked for Kyle Bradish on Tuesday night. It was ridiculous the movement he had. Got a lot of whiffs on the pitch. Throwing it to righties, throwing it to lefties. The velos were up at least one mile per hour across the board for all of his pitches. He was amped up. I thought he was done after sixth innings, got a huge strikeout to strand a runner at third in a one-run game. But then the O's spot him three in the top of the seventh. He comes back out there and goes one, two, three in the seventh to kind of save the bullpen a little bit more. What a start from the Orioles' ace, Kyle Bradish. And speaking of that bullpen, the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles' 13-3 win on Tuesday night is that the O's didn't really need their bullpen much, and that was good. Because they didn't really have a lot of that bullpen available on Tuesday night. Felix Bautista, after throwing 35 pitches to get the five-out save Monday, he wasn't available. Yenye Cano, who had thrown in three of the last four days, he wasn't available. Danny Coulomb, who had thrown three out of the last four days, he wasn't available. And Shintaro Fujinabi may have been available in a save situation, but he threw two innings on Sunday, and I think Brandon Hyde would have rather not used him. So you're looking at a four-man bullpen... Of CNL Perez, Brian Baker, Joey Crable, and Cole Irvin. And you weren't even sure about Cole Irvin until about an hour before the game. Because until the Orioles traded for Jack Flaherty like an hour before first pitch, Cole Irvin was going to be the Thursday starter if they didn't bring in a starting pitcher. Theoretically, at one point, you thought you had a three-man bullpen maybe in this game. But when you get seven innings from your starter and you get 13 runs on the board, you don't have to worry about it. And CNL Perez can come in and get two outs. And then they go to Joey Crable, who makes his Orioles 2023 debut, and he goes four up, four down with two strikeouts and ends the game with a 13-3 win. If you're wondering why they pulled 
Perez after two outs in the eighth in an eight-run game is because Joey Crable is probably going to get optioned either today or tomorrow to give Jack Flaherty his roster spot. Because of that, you just let Crable kind of throw as many pitches as he needs with an eight to ten run lead and finish off the game. That's what he did. Now, it was kind of impressive velo from Crable, who was 95-96 on the fastball with a good-looking cutter. So, hey, maybe Crable can be helpful down the road, even if he does get optioned. But what a win it was for the Orioles. A 13-3 dismantling of the Blue Jays. Orioles now 7-1 against Toronto this year. And they have clinched the season series against the Blue Jays. 7-1 against them. They've already won the season series against the Yankees. They need to win just one out of four in September against the Rays to clinch the season series against them. All that's left is Boston, who are 3-3 against. The O's are playing some amazing baseball in the AL East this year. But I mentioned Joey Crable probably going down to AAA, and that's why they gave him four outs on Tuesday night. Well, the reason Crable most likely will be optioned is that the Orioles finally got themselves some starting pitching help at the trade deadline. The deadline was 6 o'clock on Tuesday. At 5.55, the trade came across. Jack Flaherty coming over from the St. Louis Cardinals to the Baltimore Orioles. Coming up next, we'll talk about Flaherty, what kind of pitcher he is now, what he brings to the O's, his stuff, what his role will be, and much more. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Sleeper. What is Sleeper, you may be asking? Well, it's a very fun, very exciting new way to play daily fantasy sports. Do you think, you know, let's say Ryan Mountcastle can hit another home run against a Blue Jay pitcher tonight? Well, I sure do. And on Sleeper, you can swing for the fences with up to 100 times payouts. All you have to do is choose two or more players that you like and select more or less in their stat categories like homers, strikeouts, hits, and more. Get your picks right and you could win big. So what I would do, for example, tonight is take more hits, more homers on Ryan Mountcastle. Don't care what the number is. I would take more. And you can do it yourself as well. And there's dynamic payouts on the app. As each player projection now has a multiplier attached to it. So you can get higher payouts than other apps with less picks. So use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. So the Orioles take down the Blue Jays 13-3 on Tuesday night, taking the first two of a four-game set. But that wasn't even the biggest news of the day on Tuesday for the O's, as it was the trade deadline, which wrapped up at 6 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday. And I believe it was exactly six minutes before the deadline, the Orioles finally made their move. Now, a couple weeks ago, you know, they had acquired Shintaro Fujinami from the A's for Easton Lucas and bolstered the bullpen. But we felt like the whole time the Orioles needed a starting pitcher. And then especially... After Tyler Wells continued to struggle and was sent down to double-A for who knows how long over the weekend, the O's needed a starting pitcher. And just before the deadline, they got one. And it was Jack Flaherty from the St. Louis Cardinals. So let's start with who is Jack Flaherty and what does he currently bring to the Orioles? Well, Flaherty is a 27-year-old right-handed starting pitcher. Now, you might think 27. There's no way he's an upcoming free agent. Well, Flaherty got to the big leagues very early. He was 21 when he was called up with the Cardinals, and because of that, he is a rental. Flaherty will be a free agent 
after this season. Coming over from the Cardinals, where he was a first-round compensation pick back in 2014 and made his Major League debut in 2017. And Flaherty was awesome early in his career. 2018 finished fifth in Rookie of the Year voting, threw 150 innings, had a 3-3-4 ERA. And then 2019 was the year where it looked like Jack Flaherty might be the ace of the future for the Cardinals. Like, was going to be the guy that was going to take over for Adam Wainwright and going to be the ace. He finishes fourth in NL Cy Young voting in 2019, throws 196 innings, and posts a 2.75 ERA for the season. Strikeouts were crazy high. The stuff was electric. Flaherty was awesome to watch in 2019. Now, the 2020 season didn't go too great, but, you know, he made nine starts, right, in that weird shortened year. You can't take too much out of that. But then the injury started to hit. He was hit with an oblique injury in 2021, then a shoulder injury late in the year, and then didn't pitch much at all in 2022 because that shoulder injury lingered and he ended up on the 60-day IL. And when he did pitch the last two years, you could tell he was pitching through injury. The numbers just were not good. Well, he came back healthy this year, and the numbers got better. They certainly got better, but they haven't gotten back to what we saw pre-injury. Flaherty this season in 20 starts for the St. Louis Cardinals and 109 and two-thirds innings pitched has a 4.43 ERA with a 4.68 FIP. So he's basically been kind of league average at this point this season. 22% strikeout rate is about league average, but it's the lowest of his career. And his 11% walk rate is also the highest of his career. Walks have been a little bit of an issue. On the flip side, the positive side, only 10 home runs allowed in 20 starts. That'll kind of be a breath of fresh air for an Orioles rotation that has given up a lot of homers so far this year. Now, Flaherty's had his struggles. You know, he had a start earlier this year where he went two and a third and allowed 10 earned runs. But lately, it's been better. In the month of July, Jack Flaherty was good. He made five starts, he threw 29 and two-thirds innings, and he had a 3.03 ERA in July, and his 8% walk rate in July was by far the lowest of any month this season. So the command was starting to come back to him a little bit in July. Now, in nine of his last 10 starts, he's pitched at least five innings, including five or six of those, I believe, have been six-inning starts. His last start wasn't great. The last start he made in a Cardinals uniform was last Wednesday in Arizona against the Diamondbacks. Five innings, three runs, eight hits, four Ks, and two walks. You'll take it, but it's not amazing. But the previous five starts before that one, he had gone six or more innings, and most of them had been quality starts. So Flaherty's been on a nice little run here lately for the Cardinals. And it's not as staunch a split as Fujinami, where it was like Fujinami was almost unpitchable early in the year and then was really good lately. But Flaherty still, like Fujinami, has been better as of late as he comes and joins the Orioles pitching staff. Now, a lot of his issues have been against lefties this year. Righties hitting just 234. Lefties are hitting 313 against Jack Flaherty this season. So that's a little bit of a concern. And we know lefties have a higher ceiling when they're hitting at Camden Yards because You know, the shorter porch versus the wall being so far back in left field. So we will see how that plays out. But in terms of the stuff, one thing that's been good is velocity-wise, Flaherty really hasn't lost too much even since the shoulder injury. He throws six different pitches. It's a four-seamer. It's a slider. It's a curveball. It's a cutter. It's a changeup and a sinker. Now, Flaherty is interesting because although he has six different pitches that he throws, It's not exactly like he's going to them, you know, 
pretty split. Like it's not like Kyle Gibson, who could have any of those six pitches that Gibson throws be his number one pitch on any given night. That's not really the case for Flaherty. It's more so three main pitches, maybe four, and then a couple of others thrown in there. So the pitch he does throw the most often, like most guys, is that four-seam fastball. It's a pitch that, despite shoulder injuries, has kind of stayed steady throughout his career velocity-wise, which is a really, really good sign. You know, it's kind of sat at 93, 94 for most of his career, which is great. You know, you don't want to see it drop down after a shoulder injury. He throws it about 40% of the time this year, and opponents are hitting 304 against it, but the expected batting average is 236. He's gotten a little unlucky against that four-seamer. It's not a great pitch, but it's okay. Now, the slider is his go-to off-speed. The slider he will throw fairly evenly to righties and lefties. He throws it about 26% of the time. And it's had its issues lately. Now, it's got a 25% whiff rate, but in the last couple of months, hitters have really gotten to Flaherty's slider and have started to hit it hard. Now, the fallback to that is his other breaking ball is much better. The curveball is his number three pitch, throws it about 19% of the time. It's about 76 miles an hour, and that thing is nasty. Opponents hitting just 176 against his curveball. They are whiffing 42% of the time. That is a ridiculous whiff rate for that pitch. The curveball is the go-to. Now he throws it, again, more against lefties than righties. But I would imagine the Orioles see the shape of that curveball and say, you know what, let's have you throw it against righties a lot too. And maybe go a little bit less slider. Now one pitch they could cut out completely is the cutter. He's thrown it about 10% of the time this year. Opponents are hitting 355 against the cutter. Now, He's kind of gotten rid of it with the ERA being really good in July. Flaherty only threw the cutter 3% of the time in July. So it's good to see he's already getting rid of that pitch. Then there's the changeup in the sinker. Throws him each like 3% of the time. Maybe the Orioles add a little more changeup instead of the cutter as kind of a weapon against lefties. And hopefully if they can reshape the changeup, they've done it for a lot of pitchers. They could do it for Flaherty. It makes him a little more effective against the lefties that have really hit him hard so far this year now otherwise some of the underlying stats for Flaherty are a little better than the surface stats I mean in terms of the exit velocities against him the hard hit rate the barrel rate they're all like in the top quarter of Major League Baseball starting pitchers which is really good on the flip side his strikeouts are down in his career as we talked about the whiff rate is down the chase rate you know getting guys to swing outside the zone is down as well and that's one of the reasons why his stats are down overall but in terms of what he'll be for the Orioles, I mean, he's going to slot right into the rotation. This is the reason they needed a starting pitcher. With Wells in AAA, they needed a starter. Flaherty will slot in there, and most likely, he will start the day game on Thursday, tomorrow, the final game of this four-game series in Toronto. Now, he most likely will be a starting pitcher for the rest of the year, maybe unless Tyler Wells builds back up and is ready to go and start. There could be a situation there, but... With Flaherty's stuff, I think if he did have to get moved to the bullpen, either during the season or potentially in the postseason, I think his stuff could play up in the pen, and that could still be helpful to the Orioles. Like, he's not a guy who, you know, if he doesn't make the postseason rotation, you just can't use him. I think you could still use him in the bullpen in a playoff scenario. Now, you know, in terms of the Orioles' deadline, yes, it's nice to get Flaherty, right? You have a veteran guy who has had some success in the past, you know, he can eat some innings. He's thrown over, you know, almost 200 innings in one year. So, you know, he's not going to maybe get as tired as some other guys would. And he's been around the block and the stuff you can play with. And you can make him better than he was in St. Louis this year. 
And the O's got Fujinami too, but they still could have used, I would have hoped, another reliever on deadline day as well. It didn't happen. Michael Elias talked to the media, said they were in play for some bigger deals. I mean, we were hearing a lot about the Orioles connected to Justin Verlander. I didn't let myself get excited about that. I knew they weren't getting him. He goes to the Astros. There was a lot of connections with Michael Lorenzen. Orioles end up not getting him. Instead, it's Flaherty. Would have liked another reliever, but I guess you could a little easier make the argument that the Orioles can fill from the organization for relief health. D.L. Hall is now finally back in AAA Norfolk. He's going to join the Tides today. He will start working as a reliever and hopefully be able to join the O's bullpen soon. And then, you know, you'll get John Means back hopefully in early September. And when Tyler Wells is ready to go again, it feels like there's a good chance he could be placed in the bullpen when he returns. Those are three upgrades right there over the next month or so that you could get into the pen. So you can argue there that that wasn't as much of a need. Now, I still would have gone and gotten a reliever, and I still would have loved, loved to have gotten Verlander, to have gotten Dylan Cease, potentially. Elias said they were, you know, working on potentially some big deals that just fit didn't come, but it is what it is. They got a starter. That is a good thing at this deadline. But the next question is, well, what did they give up? Because starting pitchers, even the rentals, even the ones who weren't having the greatest of seasons... We're going for some high prices at this deadline. And the Orioles did have to pony up a little bit. They may have reached a little bit, like Michael Elias said they would. But it was still a good deal. But coming up next, talk about the three prospects that the Orioles gave up for Flaherty, how fair this deal was, and how it kind of compares to the other deals made for rental starters at this year's deadline. So the Orioles got themselves Jack Flaherty at the deadline. Looks like he will start the Thursday game tomorrow to wrap up this four-game set between the O's and the Blue Jays. But before that, the Orioles have game three to play tonight in Toronto. And that one will be a 7.07 p.m. Eastern time start. Grayson Rodriguez is going to go to the hill for the O's after a stellar six and a third scoreless innings over the weekend against the New York Yankees. Grayson will get a chance to pitch in Toronto, a place where he's already pitched once before this season, back on May 20th, five innings, two runs, six Ks, and one walk. We'll certainly take that one if he can do it again. And he will face off against the veteran lefty Yusei Kikuchi, who's got a 3.79 ERA in about 109 innings on the year. Kikuchi, pretty good start last time out against the Dodgers. Six innings, one run, and eight strikeouts. Now, the O's have seen Kikuchi a good amount over the past couple of years, and they've seen him twice this year. In Toronto on May 19th, O's got him for three runs on three hits over four and two-thirds innings. And then on June 15th in Baltimore, didn't finish five innings once again, four and two-thirds, two runs on six hits with seven Ks and two walks. We'll probably see a similar lineup facing another lefty coming up in tonight's Game 3. And you can catch every pitch of the Orioles' hometown radio broadcast of Game 3 tonight between the O's and the J's with the SXM app through SiriusXM. Just download the app and search Orioles. But before we get to that game, got to talk about what the Orioles gave up at the deadline. Their only acquisition on deadline day was Jack Flaherty from the St. Louis Cardinals, and it cost them three prospects. The infielder Cesar Prieto, the left-handed pitcher Drew Rahm, and the right-handed pitcher Zach Showalter. Now, it seems like 
kind of a lot, right? You get three prospects who by Baseball America were all rated in the Orioles top 20, but none of them rated in the top 10. None of them have shown up on any top 100 lists. So you didn't even dip into the best of the best of your prospects. Cesar Prieto, Fangraphs ranks him number 18 in the Orioles system earlier this year. He got moved up to AAA a couple of months ago in 115 plate appearances in Norfolk. Prieto hitting 317 with a 365 on base and a 471 slug. He's basically like Luis Arise Light. 7% walks, 9% strikeouts, doesn't do either. Finds his way on base by putting the ball in play. Defense is a little shaky, though, and with the amount of great infielders the Orioles have already and the ones coming up, Prieto was another guy similar to when they traded Daryl Hernandez in the offseason that was just really, really blocked for a path to the major leagues with the Orioles. Second guy in the deal, left-handed pitcher Drew Rahm. Fangraphs had him as the Orioles' number 24 prospect in the system. In AAA this year, it's been a little rough for Drew Rahm. Now, he's only 23 years old, and he still has a lot of room to grow as a pitcher. But in 86 innings with the Tides this year, he has a 5.34 ERA. His 25% strikeout rate has been good. The 12% walk rate has been pretty concerning. I wish the best to Prieto and to Rahm in St. Louis. He may even get a chance to go right into the Cardinals rotation. So we may get finally to see Drew Rahm make his major league debut with the Cardinals this year. And I wish him all the best. And Prieto is going to have a tougher time getting into the bigs this year with the Cardinals because they have so many infielders, but it could happen. And then the final piece of the deal, which actually came out late when Jeff Passan tweeted the deal is done, it's official. He only included Prieto and Rahm, which I was like, easily you do that trade. Like no questions asked. These guys didn't have a super great path. I mean, if Rom, if the Orioles really believed in Rom, he would have been on the team right now with the pitching they need. Think about it like that. But then Rockabaco did report a little later that also Zach Showalter was thrown into the deal. Now, Showalter's kind of the wild card here. You mostly know what you're getting from Prieto. Rom can still be molded, but you kind of know the type of pitcher he is at this point. Showalter could be anything. 19-year-old right-hander who the Orioles took out of high school in the 11th round of the 2022 draft, threw him some extra money to get him to sign. Didn't pitch at all after the draft in 2022, but has been awesome this year in 2023. 20 and a third innings in low A Delmarva, 3-1-0 ERA, 28% strikeout rate. He's got a wicked slider. It's really advanced for his age, but he's still kind of raw. He was the one prospect that had some people saying, uh, I don't know if I wanted to give that up. Listen, he is a 19-year-old pitcher making his first professional outings in 2023. He is at the very least three years away from the big leagues, if not more. He could end up being a great arm for the Cardinals in the big leagues years down the road, but he's not helping the Orioles until at least 2026. So I am perfectly fine throwing him in for this deal. The rentals on the market were going for a lot. Like look at the trades that we talked about already. Lucas Giolito went for, you know, a top 100 prospect and more. Michael Lorenzen went for a pretty coveted prospect uh, from the Phillies. Jordan Montgomery, you know, they, they got a couple of good prospects in that deal with the Rangers. Even Rich Hill, who was traded in a package with G-Man Choi from the Pirates to the Padres on Tuesday. The Pirates got way more for Rich Hill and G-Man Choi than I thought they would be worth. So rentals were expensive. Hearing what the Tigers were asking for from the Orioles for Michael Lorenzen, I know why. Let's just say they wanted one of the top 100 guys. The Orioles didn't want to part with them, so they moved on to Jack Flaherty. They were expensive. Elias said they were willing to reach, and they reached. 
And honestly, good for the Orioles. They get a starting pitcher who's going to help them this year, help them win a division, potentially help them get to a World Series. That's what's important now. And you still didn't give up any of the big names. All the big names. All your top 10 guys survived the deadline. They balanced it. I think they should have done more. But overall, I think they did well with Jack Flaherty. Now, with Drew Rahm being included in the deal, he was already on the 40-man roster. So that opens up the 40-man spot that Flaherty will take. Again, as I mentioned earlier, probably Joey Crable goes down to give Crave, uh, to give Flaherty, I should say, a roster spot. The O's also made one more minor move on Tuesday after they had DFA'd Edward Bizzardo a couple of days ago. They worked out a trade with the Mariners to send Bizzardo to Seattle, and the Orioles actually got a minor league pitcher back in the deal. It's the right-handed pitcher Logan Reinhardt, a 25-year-old who's been in high A this year, the closer for the Mariners' high A team, has a 2.84 ERA with a 34% strikeout rate and just an 8% walk rate in 38 innings. Now, some of that's because he's 25 years old in high A. However, he had Tommy John surgery in 2021. This is his first full season back. That's why he's still there. I would think the O's will put him in the double-A bullpen and see what he can do. It's a mid-90s fastball, good changeup, slider, and curveball to go with it. He is Rule 5 eligible this offseason, so it might be a guy who the O's need to take a couple of months and see what he's got. But, hey, better to get something than nothing from a reliever that you DFA'd. But that was the Orioles' deadline. Jack Flaherty coming in. We should see him pitch Thursday, and we'll see how he can help the Orioles down the stretch this season as they try to win a division finally get back to the postseason but that'll do it for today's episode thank you so much for tuning in we'll have continued trade deadline coverage throughout the rest of the week be back tomorrow and we'll be back friday we'll talk a little bit about tomorrow maybe some more deadline stuff we'll talk about the month of july how that went for the orioles and then later in the week as well we'll break down jack flaherty's first start in an orioles uniform but we're definitely back tomorrow talking game three between the orioles and the Blue Jays. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been a Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.